Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Maybe you've been here forever. I look, some of you have been here for as long as I've been here. I, I've been here almost 24 years. Some of you have been here that long. And let me tell you, I, man, I'm grateful for our new folks. I'm grateful for those who've been here for the long haul. Matter of fact, one of my values is loyalty and faithfulness. And I look at people and I'm thinking, man, I, 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 those people are very special to me. I've seen God do some great things in your life. And so that's special to see people and to do ministry with and to just be friends with people and, and do life with them for that long. And it's amazing. A couple of those people are Charlie and Gina Mitchell. They've been in our church for as long as I've been here. Very special to me. Maybe you know him, maybe you don't. If you know the Mitchells, then you love the Mitchells. Charlie has only been a member here. He played Major League Baseball. And so so he knows everybody in baseball. Uh, everybody knows him. And uh, out of that relationship, that's blessed me because he has literally taken me, man. I went to Ozzie Smith's uh, retirement ceremony. He got, he arranged for us to stay in the hotel with the Cincinnati Reds, then go to that. He arranged for me to go to the final game of the World Series when Atlanta finally won, beat the Indians. And he arranged for me to go preach chapel to the Indians. And Keith Lockhart, second baseman for the Royals then, he asked Charlie, hey, does Pat want to come and do chapel? And man, you guys can stay at my house. And so we did. We went out and stayed at his house. We, we, this is cool. I got to tell you this. We, we got in his car. I mean, we went to the locker room. We went in and out through the players' entrance. We stayed at his house. And, man, I'm going in with the players. And, bro, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm hi-hatting it, you know, and I'm going through. And everybody starts just shoving stuff in the players' faces to sign. And, you know, there's a fence. And all of a sudden, people shoving stuff, shoving stuff, shoving stuff in my face to sign. And, heck, I just looked at Charlie. I looked at, uh, I looked at uh, Keith, I just grabbed it and started signing stuff all the way down, boy, I tell you. It was hilarious. It was great. They were shaking their head. They were laughing at me. We had a great time. Here's my point. You know why I got to do all those things? It's not because I'm a great communicator or a great pastor. I got to do those things because I knew Charlie. And here's, here's the real point. It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Listen, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Did you realize that most people who get a job, they say they got a job through a relationship? It's not what you know, it's who you know. You need a job, think about who you know. Listen, go with it. Don't fight it. It's not a bad thing. That's how you get into heaven, folks, right? It's not what you know. You can know all the books of the Bible. You can memorize the Bible. It's not what you know, it's who you know. If you don't know Jesus, you're not getting in, right? So it's not what you know, it's who you know. And our bottom line today is who do you know? Who do you know? We're going through the book of John, the gospel of John. Pumped about it. Let me tell you why. We're ascending church. You hear us talk about the global uh, view of Christianity. You hear us talk about uh, trying to drive into your brain that we are global Christians. We're sending you. You're, sent, you're saved to be sent. You're redeemed to represent. You hear us all the time do that. But here's what I don't want to do and I want to make sure we never do. We don't want you to think sending is ultimate here. Jesus is ultimate here, okay? 
Jesus is ultimate. Everything's about Jesus, okay? It's all about Jesus, and John is about Jesus. We sin because of Jesus. John's all about Jesus. That's why we're doing the book of John, right? And today we come to verses 35 through 51 of chapter 1, and this bottom line is, who do you know? Now, here's the great thing about this message. As your pastor, I I, I love this message. I'm so excited all week to preach this message because it's very, very, very practical. It's not going to be a systematic or biblical theology deal today. It's going to be very practical about where you are and how you're living, asking you, who do you know? Because that's what this is about. It's about how to leverage your relational uh, influence to build the kingdom of God. God's building his kingdom. He wants to use you to do it. And he set up a way that it operates really cool. And we're going to look at that. So let's dive in. Let's dive in and begin to look and, and, and just break down this passage as we read 35 through 39. Here is what uh, John the Beloved says. The next day again, John. Now, the next day is after the Holy Spirit opened John's eyes and John the Baptist. Now, this John is John the Baptist. Remember, John the Beloved, the gospel writer. John the Baptist, uh, two different Johns, okay? So John the Baptist, got the Holy Spirit opened his eyes. He realized, whoa, that's my cousin. That's not just my cousin. That's God, okay? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He realized this yesterday, okay? He's the only Christian at this point, realized this yesterday. So the next day, John the Baptist, this is JB, was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. He said it yesterday. He said it today. Repetition is a great way of learning. All right. And he said, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. Come and you will see. Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, there are two kinds of passages in Scripture. If you've been here a while, maybe you've heard me say this. It'll be a reminder. If you're not, this is very important for you to get. There are basically two kinds of passages in Scripture. There's prescriptive passages, and there's descriptive passages. Prescriptive passages do exactly what the word says. They prescribe. In other words, for instance, the Ten Commandments are very prescriptive. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery, right? They tell us what to do. Passages on tithing and giving, passages on sex, prescriptive. They prescribe how we should live, how we should act, how we should think, what we should do. There's also descriptive passage. Not every passage in Scripture is prescriptive, and we need to understand that because many people read the descriptive passage and say, that's what we got to do, and if we're not doing it, we're wrong. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You've got to discern if it's prescriptive or descriptive. Descriptive passages, as the word suggests, describe what's going on, but they don't prescribe what you, necessarily that you should do it that way. For instance, you know, the Bible says that they greeted each other with a holy kiss, right? Now, that is a descriptive passage. Doesn't prescribe we do it that way. We don't do it that way, right? Some of you guys wish we would. That's why we don't. So, uh, you know, it's a descriptive passage, right? The principle is greet each other warmly, right? So even though they don't prescribe necessarily, there are principles within a descriptive passage. Today, what we're seeing in John 1, 35 through 51, is a descriptive passage, 
It's describing how Christianity begins to take root. It's describing how the early Christians began to really uh, understand and obey when Jesus would later say, go and make disciples. He's showing us how that works here at the very outset of the spread of Christianity, okay? So uh, as, as we're looking at this, uh, this teaches us a principle, and that principle is that God created a relational world. And that gospel spreads easier, quicker, more effective, more efficient through the relational universe that you live in. That's how God designed the gospel to be spread, really. Think about your relational universe, all the clusters of relationships, the planets in your universe, I should say, the relational planets in, in your universe. Think about those. You've got your family. You know, that's your, that's your family, the blood family, the, the family that is, you know, you, your, your family. Then you got friends, right? I mean, you've got friends that you're close with, that you know, that you hang with. You've got acquaintances. That's another sort of relational planet. Acquaintances, people that you don't really do life with, but you know them. You see them in the stores like, hey, how you doing? All that kind of stuff. Then you've got people at the ball field. You know, if your kids play ball, you go, you hang out on the sidelines for practice, the games. You're with these people a lot. It's a relational planet in your universe. You, you, you got your people at work. You got your people at school. All these clusters of relationships, right? And God designed for the spread of the gospel to be really effective and efficient through your relational universe, it's the best way to obey God's command to make disciples of all peoples, okay? Now, Malcolm Gladwell uh, wrote a book, and it's really a great sociological, insightful book about how, how ideas spread, how, how products, people buy into products and ideas and how behavior sort of spreads. And his premise is, is that people don't buy into products and ideas because of marketing and advertising, Right now, companies spend a lot of money on marketing, advertising to get their name out. But his premise is that's not really how people buy into things. People buy into ideas and behaviors uh, and and information because someone close to them buys into it. If someone close to you buys into a product or an idea, then they begin to be an evangelist for that idea. You got Apple computer evangelist, right? Oh man, what are you doing? You're using a, a PC? Are you crazy? And then people start looking and then, you know, sometimes it's a debate, but sometimes, okay, let me look at this. You know, you've got ideas that, that are important and, and behaviors and information that's important to your friends. It becomes important to you because they're your friend, right? I mean, they're your friend. Now think about all the information that's in our world today. Think about what you're bombarded with every day. You drive down uh, the 24 on the way to work, and here's what you see. You see billboard after billboard after billboard. All of a sudden, man, it just becomes, you don't even really notice them, but it's just information. You're listening to 104.5 The Zone. Man, you got commercial after commercial, right? You're watching a football game. You got commercial after commercial. I mean, you go to social media, Instagram. You're scrolling through, ad, ad, ad. About every third or fourth uh, uh, Instagram is an ad, right? I mean, all this info. Did you realize that they tell us that now that info and knowledge in our world doubles about at least every 12 months? I mean, at the most. In 12 months, here's what that means. That means that of all the information and knowledge in our world from Adam and Eve until last year, 2016, is half the knowledge and information in the world. The other half is in the last 12 months since then. Since 2016 to 2017, it's doubling and it's getting down to months and then weeks. 
There's information. Here's the point. There's so much information that you are, are just war. I mean, that you're just bombarded with every day. How do you decide what's important? Because you see, you're bombarded with all this information. It's all out there. The, the interweb is just like, wow, there's so much. I can Google something, millions of, of hits. How do I decide what's important? Because only a small portion of it's really important, right? I mean, a minuscule amount of the info is important. How do you decide what's important? I'll tell you how you decide. It's not because I saw a commercial on TV and said, oh my, oh, that's life changing. It's because someone close to me thinks it's important, generally. When someone close to me believes in something or buys into something, that spreads. That's how viruses spread, right? I mean, that's what Gladwell talks about. That's how viruses spread. I catch something, and man, I'm sniffling, and I come to work, and you know, what happens? The cl- those closest to me is going to catch it, and then they're going to go home, and they're going to spread it to their family, and then they're going to go to school, and they're going to go to their work, so they're gonna, their jobs, they're going to spread it to, to those people, and then before long, it just spreads, spreads, so there's a tipping point, and it's an epidemic, right? Listen, that's what's happening in this passage, just so you know. That's what's happening in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. At this point, you've got one Christian, so to speak, JB, John the Baptist. Now, if you take out Mary, who knew, you, you would think, who Jesus was, right? So, uh, but John the Baptist, one Christian at this point, one Christian. And he shares with two of his disciples, Two of his disciples, two guys who were following him. A disciple followed a rabbi or a teacher to become like him. So these two guys, one of them's name is Andrew. We're going to learn in a moment. One of them's name, it doesn't tell us, but practically all theologians believe it was John, the beloved, the guy who wrote the book, right? So you got Andrew and John, and they're they're disciples of John the Baptist. They're following him. Man, they're trying to become like him. And Jesus, the day before this, Jesus comes in and he says, boys, this is the Lamb of God who takes, this is the one. You're trying to become like me. I'm trying to become like him, right? And then the next day, he comes by again. He looks at these two and says, hey, guys, that's really the guy you need to be following, okay? He's the Lamb of God. I'm just a guy running up and down the street saying the king's coming, prepare the roads. He's the king. You need to be following the king, right? And so what do they do? They take off following Jesus. And here's, here's what I really want you to understand. I don't believe they followed Jesus that day because of Jesus. I really don't. I don't think they said, oh, bingo, I know who he is. And they followed him because of Jesus. I think they followed Jesus because of John the Baptist. You see, I think they bought into, began to buy into Jesus. And at this point, they hadn't bought in. But I think all of a sudden, Jesus became important to them because he was important to John the Baptist. It's the power of leveraging your relational influences for the kingdom of God, right? Who do you know? Who do you know, right? There's gonna be people who are going to begin investigating Jesus and seeking Jesus because he's important to you. That, is, that should be the case. If not, something is wrong, folks, because that's the way God set it up. Who do you know? Now, these disciples, they started following Jesus. Jesus turns around, sees two guys following him, and he said, hey guys, what's up? What y'all need? Now, I would do that too, wouldn't you? You're walking down the mall, you're walking down, and you two guys are following you, you're going to stop and say, hey guys, what's up? Y'all got a problem? That's not what's going on here, okay? That's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is saying here is, he turns around, knows what they're doing. He says, what are you seeking? He's God. He's God. He knows what they're seeking. He knows their heart. It wasn't for him. It was for them. It was a clarifying question. See, people seek Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Some people seek Jesus to find a husband. I want God to give me a husband. I want God to give me a wife. Some people seek Jesus because they want health and wealth. 
Oh, they want a better life. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you guys? Do you want me to give you a better life? Do you want me to give you health and wealth? Do you want me to give you, why are you really following me? And this is a great question because you've got to boil it down and get down to why are you following? What are you seeking for? What do you want out of Jesus? And so they said, where are you staying? Where are you staying? Now, in, those, in that day, when you, when you said, where are you staying? It's basically asking Jesus, can we come to dinner? They're inviting themselves to dinner. They're saying, can we hang out with you? Can we just hang and, and, and get to know you a little bit? Now, here's what would have happened in today's world, okay? If someone, let's say, is passionate about evangelism, we've all heard or seen or know someone who's like passionate about evangelism, and man, they're going to tell people about Jesus. In today's world, what we would have seen happen most of the time in this situation is, I got somebody on the hook, man, I'm going through the canned, memorized gospel presentation. I mean, man, I'm going to share the four spiritual laws. I'm going to share evangelism explosion. I'm going to share some kind of canned, memorized gospel presentation. And folks, I, I want you to, I want to stop and say, don't hear me say those things are wrong. If you use those things, awesome. You're sharing your faith. But here's the problem, uh, I think, with those things. A canned gospel presentation sometimes uh, keeps people from sharing the gospel because they think, man, I can't memorize all that. Or they keep people from really responding to the gospel because they're like, man, I, I don't want a sales pitch. I, I want to know what your heart is, right? And so most people would say, let me give you this canned gospel presentation. A, B, C, admit, believe, confess. You've got to make a decision right now. You ready to receive Jesus? Well, I don't know. Then you're going to hell and I'm moving on, right? That's really good, isn't it? And so, so, but that's not what Jesus did. That's not what we should do. What did Jesus do? They said, hey, can we, where are you staying? Can we come to dinner? Can we just hang? Do you know what Jesus said? Hey, come and see. Come and hang out. Come and just hang out with me. Right? You see, that's what evangelism is. That's, that's, what, that's what relational evangelism is. That's why we're saying, who do you know? Who do you just need to go and, and say, hey, let's just hang. Man, let's, let's grill out. Let's, let, let's, let's grill out. Uh, uh, you know, some of you know my, my, my physician, my, my, my doctor, Peter Cobb, and, and, and man, he, he became a believer by just hanging, man. I met him when he first moved to town, and we went to lunch, and I said, are you a believer? And I went to lunch with him and his wife, and he said, I said, are you a believer? He said, no, she wants me to be, but I'm not going to because she wants me to be. And I said, well, good for you. You show her who the boss is, dude. And when I said that, he's like taken aback, and, and I said, bro, let's just hang out. Let's just hang out. So, man, we started hanging out. He and his wife, started, they started coming to my house. We started going to theirs. We celebrated birthdays. We celebrated kids together. Took about two years of hanging out for him to say, man, I'm ready, right? Just hanging out. Who are you hanging with? Who are you just saying, man, I, let's just hang, right? That's what Jesus said, just come and, and let's hang. Now, these guys, think about it. They had just heard yesterday for the first time. He's the Lamb of God. Just yesterday for the first time. Now, folks, there's some people that hear the gospel and immediately I'm ready. Because that's all on the Holy Spirit, by the way. That's not on you. They needed some time. And Jesus realized, man, look, they're going to have questions. Just come and hang. Right? So they're patient. That's what relationship's all about. And think about John here. John's one of these disciples. And I want you to think about John for a moment. John was the youngest of the disciples of Jesus. He ends up being the oldest living disciple as every disciple is murdered, right? They're, they're, they're martyred, I mean, hung on a cross, heads chopped off, upside down, everything. John, they tried to kill him, but they couldn't 
Because listen, when, until God's through with you, nothing's taking you out of this world. When God's through with you, nothing is keeping you here. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't because God wasn't through with him. So they exiled him to an island called Patmos. And he's on an island. He doesn't have his church. He doesn't have his small group. He doesn't have his friends. He's all alone for a couple of years. That's where the Holy Spirit, that's where Jesus really uh, appeared to him and gave him the vision of Revelation. And he wrote the book of Revelation. But you know, in two years on that island by himself, Man, he had a lot of time to recollect, and he's an old man at this point, probably in his 80s, and he's an old man on that island, and he reflects over, because he's followed Jesus for a lot of years at this point, 60-some years probably, and he's recollected, and he's like, man, I remember when I was that little snotty-nosed kid with John the Baptist, and John said, that's the one you need to be following, and I took off after him, and he, he, he began to think about, you know, as you reflect over your life, he began to think about all the things that he had seen God do the people that God had saved, the people, the marriages that were redeemed, the families. He began to see, his, he thought of all of his friends that were murdered and how he was boiled in the pot of oil. He was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. I mean, man, he was a leader of leaders. He began to think of all these things and you know, he thought, how did I get here? This, this man of God, how did I get here? And you know, at some point he had to think, you know, I've got to see all this and I got to this point because a friend told me about Jesus. That's where it began. It began with a friend telling me about Jesus. Who do you know? Who do you know? And everybody you know could be, uh, you know, uh, the, the next John. Everybody you know. We need more John the Beloveds. We need more John the Baptists that just says, there he is. We need, we need more people that just say, come and see. It began with a friend. Who do you know? Let's look at verses uh, the ne- let's look at the, the next verses, 40, 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. That tells us one of them, Simon Peter's brother. Uh, didn't tell us the other, but we, like we said, it's John. Look at what he did. Andrew, Simon, it was his brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. That's all he did. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. In East Tennessee, we call him Bocephus, which means Peter. Okay. So Cephas. Now here's what Andrew does. So it goes from John the Baptist. It goes Andrew and John. What's the very first thing Andrew did? Andrew found his brother. He found his brother and said, Simon, you got to come and, and, and just listen to this guy. You got to come and just see what's going on. And Simon follows. Now, Simon was a fisherman. Simon was a fisherman. Do you know who he fished with? You know who the captain of his fishing fleet? John's daddy. So John's daddy owned a fishing business. John was a fisherman. So you have Simon, who is Andrew's friend, And you have Simon who is John's, I mean, Andrew's brother and John's friend. And so he's like, John and I, I mean, you know, it doesn't tell us every detail. John tells us, I didn't tell you everything that happened because all the books in the world wouldn't hold it. But you can read here and paint the picture. And he says, look, you got John, his buddy, Andrew, his brother. And he's like, all right, man, I'm going to go check this guy out. Not because of who Jesus is, but because his brother and his friend are buying in. His brother and his friend are like, man, they believe in this guy. Let me go check him out. So Simon walks in and Jesus, first thing Jesus did when he saw Simon, 
First thing Jesus did, he said, you're Simon. And from now on, you're going to be called Cephas. Cephas translated into the Greek means rock. First thing Jesus did, give him a WWE nickname. You're the rock. You smell what I'm cooking, right? And so he gives him a nickname. Now, your name is your identity, right? That's how people know you. It's your identity. And notice that Jesus didn't say, uh, uh, Simon, hmm. I think Cephas would be a better name. Hey, go, go, just go try that out and see what you think about it for a while. He didn't say, hey, do you care if I change your nickname? He didn't ask for permission. He just did it. Here's my point. John didn't focus on the changing of the name. I don't think the focus is on the name. The focus is on Jesus' authority to change your identity and use you and mold you into who he wants you to be for his kingdom purpose. And we see him do that to Peter, don't we? All through Scripture. Think about Peter. We, we talked about John. Think about Peter. Man, Peter was a fisherman. He, he wasn't a seminary grad. He, 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 he was a fisherman, and he becomes the leader of the disciples. Man, he's the quarterback of the disciples, folks. I mean, we see that. We know that. He's the quarterback of the disciples. He writes a couple of books of the Bible. He preaches on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection and he ascended back into heaven. The Holy Spirit came. Peter preached. 3,000 people at one time came to know the Lord. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, man, if I'm preaching, that happens. I'm probably just going to retire right there, right? I mean, that's amazing. 3,000 people at one point, a couple of books of the Bible, leader of the disciples. And you know the dude looks back and says, how did I get here? It wasn't because, man, I, I earned it because I went to seminary and I became this incredible student and all my, pro it was, man, my brother, my brother and my friend told me about Jesus. It all began with a brother and a friend saying, man, I just come. And I don't think he went because Jesus was important at that moment to him. I think he went because Jesus was important to his brother and his friend. Who do you know? Who do you know? It's not what you know, it's who you know, folks. So let's go on and finish out the passage, 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, the next day, you can begin to see this is happening the next day, the next day. The next day, Jesus is on his way to Galilee, sees a guy named Philip, and he simply said, follow me. And according to the passage, Philip does. Now, I'm always amazed when I see that. I mean, Jesus walks up and says, follow me, and they do. We see that a couple of times. And what you've got to understand, first off, it's probably a few different encounters. This is probably not their only encounter with Jesus. But here, I'm thinking, okay, Philip, Jesus says, follow me. And he just does. I'm thinking, I, would you do that? I mean, if somebody just coming along and said, follow me, okay, you know, I, I'm going on. No, why did he do that? Well, if you read the story and you get the 
the backstory and the context of what's going on. Where's Philip from? It's from Bethsaida. Where's Andrew and Peter? Uh, Where are they from? Bethsaida. So he knows Andrew and Peter. He knows John probably. He grew up with them. He probably played football with them, was on the wrestling team with them. He's the freshman with them, right? I mean, he's done all this stuff with these guys. He sees them coming down the road, and Jesus says, follow me. Well, I don't think he said, okay. I think he's like, hold on, you guys. I think they're like, dude, you need to see what's going on. And he said, okay. Who do you know? Who do you know, folks? It's not what you know. It's who you know, right? So Philip started following, I think, because he's from the hometown of these guys. He knew them. Then what's the first thing Philip does? First thing Philip does is he says, man, I, I found Jesus. I got to go knock on doors, door to door, handing out tracts, right? I got to go handing out tracts because that's what's going to do it, right? A track and a, man, I don't know you, but I'm telling you the most important thing in your life. You've never saw me before, but are you going to make a decision today? You know, I mean, I, I, no, that's not what he did. What did he do? He went and found a friend named Nathaniel. Went and found Natty, right? And he said, Nathaniel, you ain't going to believe this. We have found the one Moses wrote about. We found the one the prophets talk about. We have found the Son of God, the King. We found him. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth, and his, he's the son of Joseph. Now, a couple of things about this. First off, he noticed Nathaniel. It wasn't completely accurate. Now, technically, Joseph was his daddy. He was adopted, but Jesus is the son of God. Okay, why do I point that out? Because it's so small. I don't want you to get hung up on it. But I point it out because I want to help you overcome some fears of sharing the gospel. Some of your fears are, I know that you not, might not know everything or you might mess it up. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter what kind of technical information you give or misinformation. Uh, listen, I, you know what I had to do early and early in my walk with Christ when I knew I needed to share my faith and I was so afraid to share because I didn't know enough. And I'm like, man, I might mess it up. And Really, I, somebody just had to get in my face and help me to understand. Pat, you've got to get over yourself. You think, are you crazy? God's laughing at you. You think this is on you? God's going to be the one who saves them. Not, you can't mess it up. If God's going to save them, you can stand up and go, dee, 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 and they'll say, okay, I want Jesus. Okay? You can bumble and stumble and, you know, I mean, Wiley Coyote around the thing. And, 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 and Jesus, God's going to save them because God's going to do what he does. You just got to be faithful. You can't mess it up. And so, so, uh, uh, so he tells him, and, and, and then look at what Nathaniel responded. Nazareth? Are you kidding me? You're telling me God's from Nazareth? Ain't no way God's from Nazareth. Nazareth is a hick town. Nazareth is a hick town. I mean, in Nazareth, both the husband and wife use the same spit cup, Philip. Right? They believe wrestling is real in Nazareth. It's not going to happen. God's not coming from Nazareth. Right? Nothing good's coming from Nazareth. So he's wanting to argue and debate. And you know what? This is, this is a great, great, great lesson for us. You know what, you know what uh, Philip did? Well, he didn't start going through the Scriptures. He could have went through the Scriptures, and he could have pulled out, you know, this. He, you know what he did? I ain't going to argue with you. Just come and check it out. Let me tell you the worst thing you can do when people want to argue. Start arguing. Start an argument. When you're sharing the gospel, people want to argue. Don't buy into that. Don't bite on that. Right? I told you about my, my physician. My, I told you about Dr. Uh, Dr. Peter Cobb, so that some of you know because you go to him. You, you can, I saw him. Man, I was in a relationship with him. He wanted to argue, and I finally told him, I said, look, bud, here, here's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you one more thing about Jesus. I'm done with you, okay? 
I said, all you want to do is argue. I'm your friend. I'll hang out. When you want to get over yourself and when the Holy Spirit breaks your heart, you tell me and I'll help you. I'm not arguing with you anymore. His wife was laughing because his wife was sick of arguing. And that's all he wanted to do. And it wasn't long after that that he came and said, okay, man, I want to know about this, right? Don't argue. It, I, I tried to argue with him a few times. You can't win an argument because that's not, don't argue. Peter said, bro, I'm not arguing with you. Come and see. Come and see, okay? Just come and hang out. And that's what Philip does. And, 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 and Jesus saw Natty come. I'm sorry, Natty. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming and said, here's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said, oh, how did you know me? How do you know me? Right? I, I mean, I, how did you, you knew, you knew about me. How did you know you? And Jesus said, before Philip came and got you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, in that day, people would, students would go in the heat of the day when it was really hot, Middle Eastern, think, climate, Middle East. They would go when it's really hot and sit under a fig tree, in the shade of a fig tree, to study the scriptures. And so, under the fig tree was a code for studying the Bible. Whereas Nathaniel, oh, he's under the fig tree, meant he's studying the scripture, right? And so Jesus knew he's studying the scripture. And so uh, Jesus said, uh, I knew, I, I, before Philip come to get you, I saw you under the fig tree. And, and Nathaniel said, whoa, you are the son of God. The, you are the king of Israel. You are the Messiah. You're the one. And Jesus said, because you saw me set, because I saw you under the fig tree, you think I'm God. You're going to see much more than this. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, most theologians, I, I happen to agree with them, believe that he said that because Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree studying Genesis 28, which was the story of Jacob's ladder. If you remember Genesis 28, if you don't, here's what happened in 28. In Genesis 28, Jacob, having a dream, God gave Jacob a dream, and in that dream, he saw an, a ladder between heaven and earth and angels ascending and descending. G, he, if, if Nathaniel was studying this passage, Jesus then, at the moment he studied this passage, illuminated this passage to, to Nathaniel. And when he illuminated this passage, he basically said, I'm the ladder, Nathaniel. I'm the link between heaven and earth. I'm the only way to God. I'm God. That's what he's saying. And, and, and it's amazing. And here's what we see in this passage, guys. Here's the whole point of this passage and why I was so excited about it. Because we need to get back and we need to remember that you are definitely saved to be sent if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you are redeemed to represent. And there are three different types of evangelism. There is proclamational, proclamational evangelism, there's confrontational, and there's relational. Proclamational is what I'm doing today, right now. It's what Billy Graham does. It's what Louis Palau does. And Listen, you know who's going to do that? Very few people are going to do that. Okay? Very few people are going to do that, right? So if you think, I could not do that, that's okay. Very few people do. The next is confrontational. Confrontational means I'm going to confront people, whether it's on a plane that sits beside of me with the gospel, whether it's in the first time I meet them. You know, Paul did that. You know, that's something that I can do because of my personality. But I want you to understand, very few people do that. Very few people are comfortable with that. And sadly, here's what people think. People think those are the two forms of evangelism. They think, man, I can't preach. And man, I don't like confronting people. And so I don't know if I can, I can share my faith. Well, here's what you need to understand. Very few people do those two. The world, most of the Christian world does three and everybody's commanded to do the third, which is relational. 
relational evangelism, right? It's not proclamational. It's not confrontational. It's come and see, man. Let's hang out. Let's, let's, let's enjoy friendship. Let, 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 let's, let's be friends. Let's be buddies. Uh, you, you buy into Jesus because you buy into me, that kind of thing, right? And so it's relational. Now think about this. Paul, as I said, man, he was confrontational. Peter could be confrontational. Think about Andrew, one of the disciples, one of the very first converts, you could say. Man, every time we see him in the Scripture, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. But we never see him preach a sermon. We never see him lead a large number of people. What's he do? He brings his brother. He brings individuals. Just come and see. Right? Who do you know? Who do you know? Very few people, folks, are going to come to know Jesus through an evangelistic crusade. And those who do were probably there because they were invited by a friend. So it was really through a friend. Right? Very few people are going to come to know Jesus because somebody knocks on their door and hands them a track that's never seen them before and says, I'm going to tell you the most important thing in your life and you've never seen me, but are you going to buy it now because eternity hangs on it? I don't know you. I've never met you. Right? I, I mean, man, I don't trust the guy that just comes and sells me tires that I've never seen before. Right? Or sells me, you know, computer that I've never seen before. I don't know you. I need to know you. Right? I mean, who are you? Very few people are going to come to know Jesus because uh, they drive down the street and they see graffiti on the side of an underpass that says turn or burn or because they see a guy with rainbow colored hair on, on the uh, uh, TV at a ball game holding up a John three sixteen sign. Very few people are going to come to Jesus because of that. Some people will, but that's not how we're going to win the world. Jesus, you think about it. There are billions of people in the world. Billions of people in the world. Three billion have never heard the gospel. Three billion have never even heard the name of Jesus. A couple of other billion have heard the name of Jesus, but the information they got on Jesus is bad information because of the media or because of bad Christians, to be honest. How are we going to make sure the three billion that have never heard Jesus here, how are we going to make sure that all the thousands of people in Middle Tennessee, because get this, I want you to understand, about 85% of the people in Middle Tennessee do not go to church anywhere. I mean, they might tell you a church they're connected with because maybe their mama goes there or maybe they went there for Christmas last year, but they are not really connected to church. 85%, that's thousands of people. How are we gonna make sure? Because it's overwhelming. Well, I'll tell you what we need to do to get that out, guys. Here's what we need to do. We need to get us a TV ministry and man, we need to go international TV ministry, right? I mean, we need to do that. We gotta get more TV preachers. No, please, wrong. No, that's not what we need to do. Let me tell you what needs to happen. You need to share with a friend. You need to build a relationship. Let, let, me, let me get you to think about something. If you're a Christian, think about this for a moment. Think about this. How did you become a Christian? Now, somebody might say, well, I, I went to church. Somebody might say, well, I, 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 I went to a I guarantee you there was a friend probably invited you. Who was that friend? Who is the one person that pops in your mind when I say, when you became a believer, or now that you're a believer, who is the person who had that influence on your life? Man, you know what I think about? I think about several people, but I think about this little lady that was at my church, man, and, and she poured Jesus into me. And her name was Jessie Fletcher. And let me tell you about this little lady, man. She, just a, a meager little lady, and she poured Jesus into me. And let me tell you, man, she had no clue she had no clue that she poured in and, uh, to Jesus and I would give my life to Jesus. And man, I'm sure she thought, man, he's he never going to amount to anything, let alone be a preacher. You know, who is that person? Think about the person, okay? Now, here's what I want you to understand. If you go back and think that that person, think about their person or their people, and it goes on back, 
If you trace your spiritual ancestry, you, I wish there was such a thing or couldn't be. Go to spiritualancestry.com. You traced your spiritual ancestry. You traced your DNA. It's going to go all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? Your biological DNA. Will you trace your spiritual DNA? You know where it's going to go? John the Baptist. It's going to go all the way back to John the Baptist. John told Andrew and John. John the Baptist told Andrew and John. They go after him. And Pete, Andrew goes and gets his brother. Next day, man, they see Philip, who's a friend of both. Philip goes and gets Nathaniel, and it's off to the races. And it goes and goes and goes. And that's exactly how God set it up. God, Jesus didn't come out of his ministry and said, okay, boys, man, let's get this huge marketing campaign. We've got to get billboards all over Jerusalem. Man, we've got to get this, this social media just network rolling, boys. Nobody said, I got 120 followers by the, in three years by the time he jetted back to heaven. He said, it's in your hands. That's it. Go do it. Go do it. That's still the way it's going to happen. And when one person doesn't do it, it creates a little dent. It creates a little dent, that little family tree, the limb that just sort of stunts that growth of that limb. When a, when, when a, a group of people don't do it, man, you've got, you got a little hole in the tree. When a church doesn't do that, man, you can notice it. And I'm telling you, who do you know? Who do you know? You, who do you know? Listen, you, you, there, there, many of you have never heard of a man named Edward Kimball. You've never heard of him. A few of you possibly have. Edward Kimball was a believer who loved the Lord. But you see, he was like most people. He was very shy, very introverted, and soft-spoken, and he was afraid to share the gospel. He didn't know how to do it. He didn't think he could do it because he was shy and soft-spoken. Does that resemble? Do you relate to that? But that was Edward Kimball. But you know what? He said, I'm a believer, so i got to do it. You see, that's the difference in Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball, the difference wasn't that he was extroverted because he was shy and soft-spoken like most Christians. The difference was he said, I got to do it because I'm a believer and that's what he saved me to do. So I got to do it and I'm going to do it. So he, he knew a young man, 19-year-old young man named D.L. Moody. And he said, man, I'm going to go share the gospel with D.L. And he said, I, I almost didn't do it, if you read the story, because, man, I chickened out almost. I don't know what to say. But I did it because it's what I should do. And he said, it was the weakest gospel presentation the world's ever seen probably. He said, man, I hit it in the high weeds. I mean, I shanked it in the high weeds, really. He didn't say it like that. That's the way I would have said it. He, he, he missed it, he said. But you know what happened? Because it wasn't up to Edward Kimball. It was up to the Holy Spirit. He used his faithfulness. D.L. Moody said, yeah, I want Jesus. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. D.L. Moody becomes one of the greatest evangelists America and England has ever known. His influence is still felt today through the impact of the Moody Institute. He trains and as it sent, trains and sends pastors and missionaries all over the world. And you got Edward Kimball that nobody's ever heard of. But he said, man, I'm going to be faithful. And he knew D.L. Moody. And he shared the gospel. And man, it, it, it's still going, listen, who do you know? Who do you know? Who is in your life? All kind of people. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to go to this week and write down your, begin to write down your relational circles. Write down your family. Write down your friends, ball field, school, work. Write down all these relational planets. Just write them down. Take a piece of paper, man. Get creative. Get in your quiet time and, and just sort of write, write your, 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 your planetary universe of relational circles down. However you want to do it. I don't care. Just list them if you want to. And just pray for them. You begin to pray. Take, take every day in your quiet time and take five of them and pray, God save them. God do this in their life. God show me how I can be used. You pray for them and see what begins to happen. Who do you know?
right? That's how our church is going to grow if it grows. It's not going to be because we got great music, great preaching. It's not going to be because we got a great youth ministry. Let me tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be because you are not cultural Christians, but you're real believers who say, I'm saved to, to, to be sent, I'm redeemed to represent, and I'm just going to go to the people that God has placed in my life, and I'm going to live my faith. But let me tell you, you can't just live it. You've got to speak it intentionally, begin to invest in people for the sake of the kingdom. Who do you know? You may be here today, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, but you may know some people, and I'm going to be honest with you, you probably know some people that have given Christianity a bad name, Okay. I mean, listen, that's the case with anything, right? I mean, man, a lot of people don't like the Titans because they got, uh, you know, crazy Titans fans. A lot of people don't like Alabama because they got crazy Alabama fans. You know, crazy people don't make the, don't paint with a broad brush, okay? It's the same thing with Christianity. A lot of people don't like Ford trucks because somebody had a bad experience. It's with everything, right? So a lot of, a lot of you, maybe a friend brought you, maybe you know some people who are bad Christians, but maybe you know somebody that says, man, I don't know, that's real. If you don't know Jesus, come and, and let us just answer your questions. Promise you, we're not going to pressure you. Last thing we want you to do is, is make, make a pressured decision. Come and see. Come and ask questions. Come and see where you are. We'll be glad to come back to the Pastors Connection. We'll be glad to talk with you. All right? We'll be glad to talk. We would love to talk with you. If you are, I challenge you. I challenge you to consider who do you know? Who do you know? And begin to pray for them. And begin to pray for them and begin to invest in them, to invite them to church and ultimately into the kingdom of God. Who do you know? Father, we love you. And God, I pray that we would, we say that, but I pray that we would live it. God, I pray that today we look at this passage in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. And God, as we look at this passage, we thank you for giving us a description of how the gospel, of how people began to follow you from ground zero. And God, I pray that we would get it, that we would not forget it. God, that we would be passionate about our friends and that we would know that very few people are going to preach to thousands and very few people can really be confrontational, Lord. And I pray that if they need be, they will. But God, I know that you have set up a relational world in which the gospel uh, rolls on relationships. And I pray that we would be serious about considering who we know and why you've put people in our life, that we would live out our faith, that we would speak the gospel so that people would come to know you. God, I pray that we would understand that we are definitely, literally saved to be sent, that we are redeemed to represent. Thank you. God, thank you that you chose to save us so that you can set us on your mission. I pray that we would obey your call today in Jesus' name. Amen.